What is up? It's The Rant. My name is Jeff Rackliff, and it is Tuesday, June 23rd, episode 2, baby. And I gotta say, thank you for all the support yesterday. It was very good to be back, and uh, good to see everybody excited for everything to be back. And as promised, today we're going to dive into wide receiver yesterday. How to attack running back? Well, how to attack wide receiver? Those are the two foundational pieces of essentially... Well, outside of Superflex, but essentially all fantasy football rosters, you're building with running backs and wide receivers because you have more of them than anything else. And I would even say this is true, by the way, for IDP. No, this is not an IDP day. I I don't even think we're going to have an IDP day. We may have an IDP five minutes in the build-up to fantasy football drafts this year. I still love you IDP people, but you know, it's it's a niche. You know, uh, hey, about 5% of leagues are going to use IDP in some way, shape, or form. And that number hasn't changed over the last decade, decade and a half since I've been paying attention to it. It's a smaller group. But still, even in those leagues, you're building primarily with running backs and wide receivers. Now, I say Superflex is a little different because obviously you can have more quarterbacks. You have two two starting, potentially three or four on your roster. I, I think three is the number, but some sometimes I see people go with four. depends on how deep your bench is. Regardless, the point is simple. You have more running backs and more wide receivers on your roster than any other position, so you have to be prioritizing, really strategizing how you're attacking those positions, more so than quarterback, than tight end, especially tight end. Uh, You know, you can get away with a very kind of simple strategy at those two positions, like, hey, I'm going to look in this part of the draft. You know, that's, for me, it's like, yeah, hey, I'm going to look between round six and eight for tight end. And starting in round 10 at quarterback. Like, pretty much, that's it. That's the strategy. Pretty simple. Running back was a little bit more nuanced yesterday. And I go against the grain at running back in that I'm not advocating for grabbing super late round running backs. I've I've found very little success with that in the past. I've actually, it's not like I've had a ton of success with late round anything outside of quarterback and and tight end, but a little bit more success with wide receiver. And I think part of that is really due to the depth of the position. So today, let's really break break this down because there's so much depth and depth leads to opportunity, but you have to know how to exploit that opportunity. Now, before I get into it, I should say that the era of two running back, two wide receiver, one tight end, obviously one quarterback, and then one flex. That era is over, and really it is because of the pass-happy NFL that that era is over. And why why is it over? What do I mean by that? I mean, you should have three starting wide receiver spots, not just two. Everything else stays the same. That's fine. But add that, that extra wide receiver spot because if not, you are devaluing the position. There's so much depth at the position that it doesn't make sense to, you know, to take wide receivers early because you can get away with taking them later because the relative value of those top guys to replacement level, the gap isn't as significant as it is when you add that extra starting spot in. That extra starting spot means, well, in a 12-team league, 12 extra receivers are starting each week, 12 extra receivers are rostered or more, you know, and and now you're really starting to... uh, to dry up the talent pool in waivers. And that's really the key. You know, way back when, that was that was the one thing I probably disliked about fantasy the most when I started playing 
was, you know, we had this running joke in the one league I was in because every year it seemed like a losing team was winning the championship. And the reason we were doing now, this is before the era of Fab. This is 20 years ago. But in that era, you know, it was common for waivers to to reset each week to the inverse of the standings. So if you were the worst team in the league, you would get these like premium waiver pickups in in November, December, early December, and then just roll your way through the playoffs every year. It was a losing record team who would win. You know, you'd have a six and seven team winning. We we almost renamed the trophy the six and seven trophy. Uh, it was uh, you know it was very Jeff Fisher esque, but um, regardless, it, you know I I don't think that waivers should be chock full. I, you know, I, I think that you should really have to work hard. You should be looking several weeks ahead uh, as opposed to the top guys are on waivers every week. And in most instances, I'm sure in your leagues, it's like that. Anyway, let's talk about this position here. And I think that to lead things off, we should we should just clear the air. You know, the 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 hype of zero RB, I, I think that that we're like three or four years removed from that hype. But you still do see people talking about it, and and for good reason. I mean, hey, if you want to be a good drafter, you have to know all of the strategy. You have you have to understand what value based drafting is. Uh, you know what um, zero wide receiver, zero RB, any of these things, late round quarterback, uh, tight end premium, any of the what any of those terms mean. But in terms of zero RB, the 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 reason I don't necessarily love the idea just on the surface, and please don't at me if you're like a zero RB guy. I get it. I get why people use it. My gripe isn't necessarily with the idea unto itself. It's with locking yourself into one single strategy. Because if you lock yourself into a strategy, one strategy and one strategy only, you've put yourself in a box that you're not going to be able to get out of on draft day. And drafts are always going to be unique. Each one sets up you know, a whole different uh, set of conditions that you have to adapt to and ultimately exploit because your opponents will make mistakes. And if you go in and say, I'm only going to use this strategy, you can't exploit those mistakes. So zero RB can be versatile or can be, can be an advantageous strategy to have up your sleeve. Absolutely. If the draft conditions set it up, like yesterday on the show, I said, hey, you could potentially be looking at in the late first round grabbing one of those wide receivers and it may end up being a better move than than almost I felt like reaching for some of these running backs. You know, hey, if I'm at 1-8, and Derrick Henry's already off the board, I'd much rather look in the Devontae Adams, Julio Jones neck of the woods than to force the Kenyon Drake neck of the woods you know so now the draft conditions have set it up so you go wide receiver do you potentially go wide receiver again in the second round what do the draft conditions say there what does your board say and if that then happens then now we need to know okay well I'm going down this road now I need to to execute this approach you know to really effectively execute zero RB if you're you're hammering wide receiver early, maybe you get a premium tight in there, tight end in there. Like if Kelsey falls or Kittle falls, one of them to third round, and you grab them, okay, that's fine. But you have to know now that in the middle rounds, you 
absolutely have to hammer running back. Because still, my my advice from yesterday remains true. If I get to round 10 and I don't have four running backs, regardless of what approach I took in the early rounds, I'm still not going to be happy. I'm not going to be happy with that because I don't like where... I don't like the options once you get into like round 11 especially. I think you might be able to get away with one in round 10, but it's the options really dry up quickly. My preference. So anyway, wanted to clear the air on that one. I don't think you go in saying, I must pick wide receiver in first round, wide receiver in second. It's very robotic, right? It's so robotic and does not allow you to exploit what your opponents are doing wrong. So let's talk about these wideouts. I think we know who's at the top. It's pretty darn obvious. And I think that Michael Thomas, there's a case to be made for him going number two overall. I wouldn't take him number one. Christian McCaffrey's the guy I have seen. I was waiting for this to happen, by the way, because every year, especially years where you think there's a slam dunk number one and the consensus thinks there's a slam dunk number one, there's going to be people and maybe they're just doing it to get, you know, to draw attention to themselves who may suggest somebody else. Saquon Barkley, for example, possibly is the number one overall. I don't think you can make that argument this year. I just don't I don't see it with how dominant McCaffrey was last year, with how good he was the year before, which is kind of like a sneaky, really good season. <laughs> you know, people don't talk enough about 2018. But talk about like really good. Michael Thomas over the last three years has been unreal. I put out a tweet the other day about Michael Thomas's production over that span of time. And, of course, people on Twitter are going to read into things, messages that aren't always there. You know, that happens. Uh, the tweet was really me just being um, blown away by how productive he was. But, of course, I probably should have just said how many receptions he's had over the span of time. Instead, I compared him to the number two guy. So then everybody thought, I meant Thomas is that much better. Anyway, here's the tweet. Uh, over the past three seasons, DeAndre Hopkins leads all receivers with 469 targets. Nice. Michael Thomas is second with 465, but over that same span, Thomas has 63 more catches than Hopkins. No, I am not saying he is that much better than Hopkins. I'm saying Hopkins is effing awesome, and Thomas has 63 more catches, 21 per season. More? Really? That's how good he's been. Okay, yes, his average depth of target is shorter. Hopkins wasn't being targeted that heavily downfield last year, by the way. Uh, sure, he plays with Drew Brees. I mean, we see low ADOC guys who play with very good quarterbacks. Julian Edelman's a low ADOC guy who played with the GOAT, Tom Brady. He, he didn't have 140-plus catches in any season. I mean, it just shows Michael Thomas is really freaking good. And yes, lower ADOC guy, I don't care. doesn't matter to me. If we were talking about a guy who would get, I don't know, 85 catches in a season, you know, projection 85, 80, low ADOC guy, all right, now I start to care. Because those types of players, if you're an 80-catch guy, I want you to be a Mike Evans ADOT. You know, I want you to be 14 and a half yards downfield, 15 yards downfield on average with your targets, because that's upside. Uh, a 9-yard or 8-yard ADOT guy, no upside, but it doesn't matter with Michael Thomas if you're going to catch 140 balls, going to catch 130 balls, whatever he does this year. 
maybe 150. <laughs> would not surprise anybody, would it? But you know, for me, high floor, maybe not the highest ceiling. Like, I, I, hey, if you had to say who has the highest ceiling among wide receivers in any given week, I, I think the answer from well, for me, it's pretty darn clear. Maybe you disagree with me, but for me, it's Tyreek Hill, highest single ceiling of any wide receiver in any given week. That's not to knock Adams. It's not to knock Julio or Hopkins or, you know, even even some of the, the guys beyond them. But Hill's ceiling is enormous. Hill could go out and, you know, have 300 yards and five touchdowns in a game and everybody would be like, yeah, yeah, that was, that was coming. <laughs> that was brewing for a while. Uh, I don't know if we could say that about anybody else, uh, but regardless, and yes, that's extreme, but would we be that surprised? Probably not. So anyway, I think a case could be made for Thomas at two. I haven't had the luxury of having the two in any mock drafts recently, so I haven't taken him there, but I have taken him at three. I've taken him at four, and I was ecstatic to take him at six in a mock draft recently. So I have loaded up on him. For me, it's a little bit of a statement, you know, uh, where I'm taking him. If I take him at three, uh, honestly, it's that debate of, and in that in that mock, uh, it was Saquon at two. So is it Thomas or Zeke? And for me, if I had that decision a hundred times, I'd probably go 50-50. You know, I don't think it's that clear cut that it's one or the other. Um, so just just throwing that out there. But beyond that, I do think late first round, you're still looking at some of these premium guys. Devontae Adams, no competition, none. Sorry, Packers fans. <laughs> no competition, no wide receivers drafted. So yeah, he's going to see plenty of volume. And he was so good when he came back from the injury last year. Julio I have is my number three. I know that, um, you know, some people don't like Julio, which still blows my mind. Uh, he is incredible. Sure, he has all, you know, he, he's not a double digit touchdown guy. I don't know if that's his fault, by the way. I mean, put Julio Jones with like Tom Brady. Put put Julio Jones put Julio Jones with Aaron Rodgers. Let's see what happens. I don't know if it's entirely his fault. Uh Hopkins, I have at four, Tyreek at five, but it's pretty close, and that's like you know, for me, maybe it's a half a tier above for Michael Thomas, but the rest of those guys are all kind of bunched in. And for, you know, for slightly different reasons, I'm not extremely bullish on Hopkins in Arizona like some may be, but it's really a sexy landing spot. There's no doubt about it. Then you have this sort of next tier of guys, and it's a really intriguing tier because you have two teammates in Godwin and Evans. Evans tends to be a little bit undervalued. Godwin maybe a little overvalued. Now nah, you know what is ADP? No, he's perfectly valued. He's going in the in the almost a late second round. That's actually pretty perfect. But Evans is in the third round. That I love that. I love that. Tom Brady doesn't have a deep ball. Yeah, who would he throw? Who who was his deep target last year? Just anybody out there who just regurgitates that narrative. Who was his deep ball target? Exactly. He didn't have one. There was no deep ball. We don't know. We don't know, and I, I'm not buying that narrative right now. I think Evans is going to be a monster, and so is, is Godwin. That team's just going to be a juggernaut. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, obviously, those guys are in that range. Allen Robinson, who was criminally undervalued. He was the 31st wide receiver taken in drafts last year. Uh, Kenny Galladay also in that range. So these guys are all, for me in consideration in the second round, but keep in mind that you may not have to draft them in that range. 
you know, Allen Robinson is a third round in ADP. Mike Evans is a third round. Kenny Galladay's at the turn. DJ Moore is in this range. Odell Beckham Jr. And by the way, I I, I think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to end up being a value this year as a third round pick. He saw a ton of deep ball work with Baker. They just couldn't get on the same page last year. But second most targets of 20-plus yards among wide receivers. If he sees that again, I mean, we're going to see some explosive games out of Odell Beckham Jr. this year. So I think that you have to sort of balance the board out. I, I would prefer to get one of the top five and two of the top 15 running backs if I can. But if I don't, it's not the end of the world because, as I said earlier, the board dictates that you go more zero RB or modified zero RB. Like a modified zero RB, if you're new to this podcast, is where you take a running back in the first round, but then you don't circle back to the position until like round five or six. You end up going wide, a bunch of wide receivers. You may may have a tight end in there. Uh, so now you're you're you know you're still kind of in that addressing the position in the middle rounds as opposed to hammering it early. Uh, that could certainly be a viable strategy. Now, the thing is, once you get beyond that group, you have this very interesting chunk of wideouts. In that group are guys like Amari Cooper, Juju Smith-Schuster, Adam Thielen. You know, these guys are all in that range. And, you know, obviously there's some questions with those guys. Uh, Cooper, there's a lot of mouths to feed. In Dallas, uh, Thielen, there aren't a lot of mouths to feed, but he is getting a little long in the tooth. So, you know, what do we expect out of him? And I, I find that Thielen ends up being a really good value, by the way. Thielen in the fourth round, sign me up for that. Cooper in the third round where he's going currently, I'll pass. Hard pass on that one. Uh, Juju, that one's so tricky. Because we're in this world, by the way, where Sorry, Deontay Johnson is going in the seventh round. Remember, remember the days. Remember how nice it used to be when he was going in the tenth round. Yeah, that's not happening now. Um, sorry about that. Uh, but anyway, Juju, Juju, Juju. In the fourth round, I could deal with it. It's risky, but in the fourth round, you know, again, this is a guy who last year was going in the second round in a lot of drafts. I feel like there's enough of a discount that, you know, again, I'm I'm not in love with that one, but I I have I have made that move in a few best balls, but you also have guys like Cooper Cup and Bob Woods. Uh, those are you know those guys are both in the mix here. My big concern with them is not necessarily you know they're both very good football players. It's more of the Jared Goff factor. Like which Jared Goff do we get? Do we get twenty early twenty eighteen Jared Goff or do we get? basically everything since Jared Goff. And early 2018 Jared Goff was really a lot of fun for fantasy. Everything since Jared Goff has been a guy who doesn't push the ball to the end zone, so minimal touchdown upside there. Uh, A couple other guys who I should mention who are going right in this range that I think need to be unpacked a little bit uh, are Calvin Ridley and A.J. Brown. Every year there's a guy, it seems, at wide receiver who's in this sort of range who becomes the it guy, like everybody, my guy, this is my guy. Calvin Ridley's that guy this year. I understand the the why behind it for a lot of folks, no doubt about it. I understand the why behind it. But we also have to remember, like, this is a situation where it's not like Calvin Ridley's playing across, uh, you know, from me. 
<laughs> if I was on the Falcons, I might get a target this year. That's about it. He's playing across from a target monster. Now, there's a little bit more meat on the bone in theory because Austin Hooper's out in the mix, and, and Hayden Hurst is a, maybe a step down from Austin Hooper, but I don't know if those targets go to Ridley. Like, are those targets in Ridley's area of the field, or is that, you know, we're talking Russell Gage, we're talking, like, whoever is manning the slot ultimately the most for the team, I don't know. I, I don't... I, Invariably, what happens with these guys is they get overdrafted. You know, that that hype, the sexiness factor. And I actually had this conversation. So if you're familiar with FTN, Fade the Noise, Brad Evans is, well, the namesake of the site and obviously one of my colleagues over there at the the new venture. But we were talking and he's like, well, who's your like, who's your guy? Who do you have to get in drafts? And I said, nobody. <laughs> I got to give value with every single one of my picks. And I thought his head was going to explode. I'm not going to tout any one player and be like, this is my guy. Like Deontay Johnson, I loved him in round 10. I liked him a lot in round nine. I felt a little bit less confident in round eight. And in round seven, I am not touching him with a 20-foot pole. (laughs) So I don't have a guy because what ends up happening is if you have a guy, I must have this guy. You're going to reach, and reaching gives your opponent an advantage because value falls down the board. So I, that's kind of how I feel about Ridley and a little bit about A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown had a lot of long touchdowns. I love him. Don't get me wrong. Dino, yes, please. But a lot of long touchdowns last year that aren't necessarily, you know, they aren't sustainable, those long touchdowns. So when I start to look at it, you know, in, in a lot of drafts, when these guys go off the board, it ends up happening that guys like Keenan Allen fall. And I know Terod Taylor, all right, not excited about him, but Keenan Allen in the fifth round? I've seen it happen. I'll, I'll sign me up for it. It isn't sexy. It doesn't have to be. You, you know, guys like T.Y. Hilton, I've I've seen him fall into the fifth or sixth round. And and, and you, have, you have a viable injury concern with T.Y. Hilton. There's no doubt about it. T.Y. Hilton's current ADP is in the sixth round. It's uh, it's 63 overall. Viable injury concern. But he's also playing with a good quarterback again, which helps. And it's, you know, it's it's a situation this year. I don't think he has to do everything. You know, they do have some talent, especially if Paris Campbell is able to stay healthy and Pittman is able to step on the field and play right away, which I think he is going to be able to. These are unsexy guys as we're getting into the almost middle round region that I'd much rather go after than, you know, younger players who, you know, there's a sex the sex factor, no doubt about it, with Calvin Ridley or A.J. Brown or even Cortland Sutton to a lesser extent, Terry McLaurin going in this range. But I'd rather, you know, and, and, and by the way, I'm also seeing Tyler Lockett at a value in this range as well. So I've been plucking those guys and fading some of the sexy guys who tend to go a little bit higher than I have them on my board. There are some unsexy guys who I am fading, however. Julian Edelman going in this range, I have been fading him hardcore. Uh, Edelman uh, right now... Uh, I mean, I guess he's a round and a half later, but, you know, we're in the middle rounds now. We're in the seventh round. I'm fading him even in that range because of just no confidence with his age, no confidence with Jared Stidham. You do have some upside guys in this range. Devontae Parker, DJ Chark, uh, even, you know, Michael Gallup. I prefer Michael Gallup at ADP than, you know, much more than Amari Cooper at ADP. 
You have guys like Stefan Diggs, who for some reason is getting overlooked. And I get it that that's not a team that's going to pass anywhere. It's not like that last year they passed very heavily either, but you're really looking for a bang for your buck out of Stephon Diggs in the sixth round. In the sixth round, that's his current ADP. Will Fuller in the seventh round. Will Fuller in the seventh round. Tyler Boyd in the seventh round. I mean, there's this is the types of guys. Will Fuller is currently going five spots ahead of Deontay Johnson. Tyler Boyd is going 11 spots ahead of Deontay Johnson. I mean, that's that's how much he's closed the gap on those guys. I, I can't do Deontay Johnson in that range. I just can't do it. But these guys offer some great value. Uh, Marvin Jones is going five picks after Deontay Johnson. I'd much rather have Marvin Jones. And I'm not, you know, again, not like all in on Marvin Jones, but the dude is a red zone monster. Red zone monster. And if he stays healthy in that offense, which I am buying in on improving then yeah, sign me up. Marquise Brown also is going in this range, and I found that he has been a nice little value. For some reason, he gets overlooked, you know, a little bit. And and you know what you're getting with him. You're not getting high volume, but you know what you're getting with him. So listen to that value, though. I mean, if you end up, if you end up going, let's say, running back, wide receiver, running back, then you come back around, wide out, another running back, Right, so you're essentially three running backs, two wideouts in the first five rounds. I don't think you're in a bad situation, given that you can still get guys like this around six, seven, eight. Sprinkle a tight end in there, and you're still getting good value on some of these guys. There's guys with major, major upside outside of the top 180 ADP. Darius Slayton, ADP 110. McCole Hardman. ADP 115. I won't go screaming this from the mountaintops. I, I assure you, we will. Shh, let's keep this our secret. McCole Hardman now. He is the, he's the guy who I'm loving at ADP. How I felt about Deontay Johnson a month and a half ago, McCole Hardman is that. Henry Ruggs, another guy with major upside, ADP 130. CeeDee Lamb's going 10 spots ahead of him, and I could see I could see Ruggs potentially seeing more targets than CeeDee because there's not as much competition. A lot of upside there. Guys like Anthony Miller, Sterling Shepard. I, hey, I know that people love Darius Slayton, but Sterling Shepard, I mean, you get him for a bologna sandwich in drafts right now. Guys like Jalen Rager, who we talked about yesterday. Could he lead the team in catches? No. Could he lead the Eagles wideouts in catches? Yeah. But ADP 142, 54th wide out off the board. Yeah, absolutely. Sign me up for that. Michael Pittman Jr., rookie, but still. ADP 147. I mean, when we're talking this far down, ADP 147 is, is a 12th, 13th round pick. No problem with that. So that's sort of the beauty here. And I'm not going to name every single name on the board. But the beauty to wide receiver this year is if you hit the position up, you know, throughout and make sure, you know, as you're going through your draft, I told you how I'm prioritizing running backs. I want to get four before the end of the first 10 rounds. I told you I'm typically going to be looking in between round six and eight for my tight end. I told you that I'm typically not even going to look at quarterback until round 11. And yes, that's even in home leagues. Wide receiver, you kind of have to just keep an eye on throughout. 
And that's the beauty to the draft board. The draft board's going to show you these guys maybe are a little too high on the board. There's a little bit too much value on at wide receiver. Those are the rounds where you make the picks. But if you're if you're just prioritizing, just keeping focused on that throughout the course of your draft, you're going to be able to scoop value in the early rounds, in the middle rounds, and even in the late rounds. That's the beauty to the position this year. I do love it, and I love the the depth allows us that flexibility in drafts that we need to dominate. So there you go. It's all set up for you there. It's an easy game if you make it that way. It's an easy game if you make it that way. Anyway, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the pod. In the meantime, you can follow along on social media at Jeff Rackliff on Twitter and Instagram. And by the way, I would greatly appreciate it if you could help me out with some reviews on iTunes. Uh, Even if you don't have an iTunes account, just go create an account and review the pod. It's really that simple. Uh, Review it. Give it a rating. That really helps me out as we're getting this thing up off the ground. Appreciate the support uh, that everybody has shown over the last week, week and a half here. It's been awesome. But the best is yet to come, baby. All right, I'll catch you on the flip side for another edition of the pod. I'm Jeff Ratcliffe, and I'm out of here. 